to Him who loved us and washed us from our sins and has made us, washed us from our sins in His own blood and has made us kings and priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Word of God I would lay on your hearts this morning comes from the second chapter of the book of Philippians, verses 5 through 11, as follows. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So far the Holy Word. Dear friends in Christ, fellow redeemed, let this mind be in you, the text opens with. And then it describes Jesus' state of mind, his attitude. I'll tell you, it sure seems like a high ideal, something that we couldn't possibly attain. After all, even though mankind was created in God's image, which means without sin and holy, perfect, Adam and Eve, created in the image of God, yet it's because of the fall into sin that Adam and Eve sinned, that sin passed down to every human being since then, except the Savior, you and, you and I included you and me included. We are infected with that sin. And so to have the same mind that Christ had, and then the explanation to follow, we're kind of left wondering, how is that going to happen? And the answer is that God sets this pattern of humble service and then empowers us through the gospel message of what His Son has done empowers us to have that state of mind. To have the same mind as our Savior, Jesus Christ. It sounds tough, but it's something that we are given the ability to do through the powerful Word of God. And you know, with God, nothing is impossible. Our theme today is God's pattern of humble service. It's established by Jesus, verses 6 through 11 here. And it's reflected by us. Verse 5. Today, Palm Sunday. A great day where we celebrate our Savior as King. But, wait a minute. How can we celebrate Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem when he's sitting on a little colt, a little young donkey that's never been ridden before? I thought kings were supposed to arrive into their home cities on big white stallions or the, you know, the most impressive sights with all the, you know, if they've been out to war, then they're, got, they're displaying all the spoils of war that they brought, that they've conquered and all the things that they've done. That's how a king returns to his home city. 
But here in our text before us today, we have a special teaching of the Bible. These verses are the central teaching in the Bible about Jesus' humiliation and his exaltation. Sometimes we call these, you know, when, when a Bible verse really hits a particular teaching right on the head, we call those Bible verses seats of doctrine. Here in um, the second chapter of Philippians, we have a seat of doctrine. And it's a set of important verses that outlines Christ's two states. That is, he is the state of humiliation and the state of exaltation. Okay, this is kind of like where you're in school this morning, isn't it? You're learning things, but that's good. Sometimes we need to chew on some of the meat of Scripture and learn some things. And these are important. In fact, it's so important to the Christian church, these two states of Christ, His humiliation and His exaltation, that uh, we really have two important symbols right on our altar that describe it. Of course, we have the palm branches. I already learned this morning that the palm symbol symbolize peace, the peace that Jesus has won for us, the peace that passes all understanding, that is the forgiveness of sins. Therefore, between you and God, there's no more conflict going on. God sees you as sinless. So that gives us peace in our souls. That's symbolized by the palm branch. That's why they laid palm branches down before the Messiah and his triumphant entry. But what I'd like to point out to you today, and that symbolizes the two, na- the two states of Christ, or his natures, that he's true God as well as true man, are the two candles in the middle of the altar. Those symbolize, and you know, everything is symbolic in the church, isn't it? The cross is symbolic, the, the fish is symbolic of Christ. The... Uh, uh, everything symbolic. The, the, two, the two candles symbolize the two natures of Christ. That is, He is true man as well as true God. And these verses are the seats of doctrine. They're the verses that really clearly lay out His humiliation and His exaltation. See, Jesus had to come down to earth to follow God's plan to save us. When Adam and Eve fell into sin in the Garden of Eden, God said, I'm going to send the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent, the seed of the woman, the no man involved, virgin birth of the Messiah. He was going to come and accomplish God's task set before him to destroy the work of the devil. That's why Jesus came, to save us sinners, because sin held us in bondage. Satan had a hold over us through our sins, so God sent Jesus to pay the price for our sins. In order to do that, Jesus had to take on, now we're talking about God here, Jesus, divine, from eternity, always eternal, always in existence. Jesus, as true God, had to take into his Godhead the true nature of man. So that he's 100% God and 100% man at the same time. And that's why when you read in the first verse, or the verse 6 here, about what Jesus did. You know, it kind of sounds confusing until you understand that part. Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. What does that mean? Did not 
consider it robbery to be equal with God? Well, it simply means that he didn't consider, while becoming true man, he didn't consider it vitally important, or or he didn't consider it a, a necessity to hang on to all of his divine attributes so that they could be clearly seen. That's kind of the long explanation of what that means. Simply put, when Jesus came down to earth, he was true man, but he was also 100% God, but you wouldn't have been able to tell it by just looking at him. The Bible tells us he has no form or comeliness that you should know him. That's a quote. That means that you couldn't pick him out in a crown. You wouldn't be able to, you know, if, if you didn't know him, who he was, when he was walking around with his 12 disciples, you, you wouldn't have been able to pick out which one, you know, by, just by looking at him. Because he didn't have a halo, contrary to the artist's conception. He wasn't especially glowing or anything, or uh, he didn't have especially white clothes all the time or anything like that. You wouldn't have known him from the other disciples, just by looking. That's what this means. He, when he became true man, he put himself, he, he humbled himself to come down here to, uh, not as to rule us or to start an earthly kingdom and to tell everybody, look, I am God and you need to bow to me. That's not what he did. He came down here not to force us into faith, but to humble himself and to serve us. He humbled, God came down to earth in such a humble way. Quiet. Uh, just think of the way his birth was announced. Simple shepherds got the first announcement out in the field. The average working Joe out there in Bethlehem got the first announcement that the Lord had finally sent the Savior whom he had promised from of old. Quiet. There. Born in, in Bethlehem. Not a lot of fanfare. And lived the next 30 years quietly, started his ministry, went around preaching repentance and teaching the gospel of the forgiveness of sins and why he had actually come. For three years, making that announcement. The only time you would have been able to see that he was truly God as well as true man was when he performed a miracle, which he often did. How many times did he cast out demons from people who were... Uh, under that scourge or how many times did he heal people from uh, being lame or blind or deaf how many times did he feed people just fill their stomachs with a miracle he did those things and it was just like peeling back the veneer to see what's really underneath the veneer of his human nature so that through all his miracles his disciples and you and I when we read in his word today we get to see that he was truly God. He humbled himself. His mindset, his attitude was one of putting himself under the law of God, obeying all of his Father's commandments perfectly. It wasn't an easy task because he was a true human being just like you and just like me. The Bible says he was in all points tempted just as we are. Yet he never sinned. And there's the difference. He had the same temptations you and I face every day, every moment. But he never fell. He never sinned. He did that to remain that perfect Lamb of God, that sacrifice that was necessary 
to pay the price for our sins. He kept himself pure his entire life long so that he could then take that sacrifice acceptable to God, offer it up in your place and mine. Now, because of what he's done, the text tells us God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. When Jesus said it is finished on the cross and he breathed his last, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, and he died. From that moment on, the exaltation of Christ began. His, he was once again endued with power. He took on all of the divine rights and power and authority that were his from eternity. Never leaving behind his true nature as man. And that's important. Right now, Jesus is still 100% God and 100% man. Which is a comfort to us. He knows what we're made of. We don't have a high priest who, Jesus, the great high priest, who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. Because he's been there, done that, for everything we've ever gone through. What trouble is facing you in life? What temptation do you have difficulty with? Jesus knows. And he supplies power for you to avoid, to overcome sin. Jesus gives you the ongoing message of sins forgiven so that you can face every day knowing that God has declares you not guilty. God has said, you are therefore now, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to you, to me, to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no sin that God holds against us because of what Christ has done for us. It's humbling when you think about it. When the grace of God is pronounced to you and the Holy Spirit works through that message in your heart, it's just completely humbling. What? God did that for me? For this wretched human being? You know, each one of us, as we analyze our how we've done in God's sight according to the Ten Commandments, we come to the same conclusion. It's awful. We haven't kept them. Everything is thought, said, and done goes against God's command. I am a wretched sinner. That's what the law does to us. It always accuses us of our sin. It never excuses us. Jesus, not excusing us, but paying the price for our sins, takes it up another notch. And that gospel declaration to you reinforces your own ability to have the same mind as Jesus did. God's pattern of humble service established by Jesus when he humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. That same humility can be our mind too. And it, it's empowered, it's reflected by us when the word and the gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ reigns in our hearts. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That takes work, but it's a blessed employment. We work at our Christianity every day, and I encourage you, don't give up the task of being, of living a Christian life, of letting your light shine in the world so others can see so that not only will people hear you bring God's word and people will hear the 
power of God, will hear the power of God as you voice His word through your lips, but they'll also see it in your lives. They'll say, "Wow, I, the way they're living, I want that." Oh, sure, they're not perfect, and and you're not, and neither am I. At least in our lives here. But we get up every day and we strive to keep the law of God. We strive to live Christian lives because we know that heaven is already ours. It's already an accomplished fact. The humility and the exaltation of Christ, those two candles on the altar, true God as well as true man, remind us of the fact. Jesus had to be true man. Because who's going to kill God? No one. But as true man, they could kill Jesus. And they did. They killed Jesus on Calvary on that first Good Friday. And on Jesus, not only did those men nail him to the cross, but God nailed every one of our sins on Jesus' shoulders and caused him to bear the punishment for those things. They're all completely paid for in full. They're gone. When he died, they were buried with him. And Jesus, or God raised His Son Jesus from the dead because He declared you not guilty. That's the Gospel message that reigns in our hearts and moves us to reflect the same mind. And we understand that when, Jesus, when God gives us this command in these important verses, let this mind be in you. We understand that whenever God gives us a command, right in there, right in that command, is the power of the Word. Right in the command to do something, is the ability to do it. You can have the same mind as your Savior Jesus. In fact, you do have it as God's own dear child. And that empowers you to do good to all people, to be humble to all people, to show the same kind of concern and care for others as your Lord did for you. Now all of you have known people, Christian friends, who you look up to, and you could say, you know, if, if anyone mirrors Christ's life, boy, that person does. Now, you know, you, you have individuals in your lives, maybe a loved one, maybe a, someone in church. You could point to them and say, they're almost, like they're, a, their own, they're almost like a little Christ. They so represent Christ. Well, all of us are Christ's ambassadors, aren't we? We all speak for Him. Luther and others have said, let us become little Christs to one another out of thankfulness to the Savior who loved us, who loves us and gave himself for us. Jesus' humble service on that, well, his whole life long, but also especially on that first Palm Sunday, had a glorious outcome for him and for us. For him, it ended in his exaltation and victory as Savior and Lord. For us, it ends in forgiveness and certain salvation. So let us live lives patterned after the humble service of our King of Kings, Jesus Christ. Amen.